Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church in Wellston, Oklahoma, featuring the weekly teaching and preaching ministry of the church. We are grateful that you are choosing to join us today. Our prayer is that you are blessed by today's study of God's Word, and your heart will be receptive to what God desires to teach you today. For more information about FBC Wellston, please visit our website at fbcwellston.org. We hope you enjoyed today's service, and we look forward to studying God's Word with you today. chapter 16 and then we will be all throughout the rest of the first kings a little bit in second kings and then um, a couple of places in scripture Uh, before I forget just in case I um, fail to say it next week I was been asked if I would um, I guess prophet prophesy what we're going to be at next week maybe so next week the subject the character is Jonah so if some of you like to go ahead and uh, look ahead or think ahead Jonah is next week but tonight we are going to be in an interesting character that quite frankly I don't think I've ever heard a lesson presented over and that is the character of Jezebel a name a character that you uh, many people are familiar with not for the positive it's usually always for the negative, um, but a character that, quite frankly, I, like I said, I've never heard anybody um, spend any time focusing on the character of Jezebel. So, after we finished going through books of the Bible, we turned, pivoted, um, started looking at different characters in the Bible, and as far as their example, both positive and negative, um, things that we can learn from their example, things that we can learn from how God um, responded to them, how they responded to God, and how they they fit in the greater story of redemption uh, as far as for a person or uh, a male or a female for us to look at. And a lot of times you get to characters in the Bible and sometimes they're there for the negative and sometimes they're there for the positive. Jezebel, um, if you know anything about her prior to, you are going to automatically know that um, there's not a lot of positive that comes in to the life of Jezebel. But with all of these characters, we've been doing the same thing. We've been asking three primary questions. Who were they? Why do we know them? And what lessons do they teach us? So we've been going through, um, trying to look at, trying to glean um, what there is to take from them. So when we think about who were they, um, it's just a biographical father, mother, wife, husband, sisters, brothers, aunts, second cousins removed twice on the mother's side. Just biographical information. And then we look at, well, why do we know about them? Why, what sticks out in Scripture of why we would know that name? The last one is um, the lessons, the lessons that we can learn from their life. Because even if you have a life like we're going to see tonight of Jezebel, a negative life, a godless life, a sinful life, a life that no doubt led her to hell, there are still lessons that we can take away from a life by seeing how they lived it out under the eyes of God. So let's look at these three questions. I got you in 1 Kings chapter 16 because when we think about um, who she is, um, don't know a lot about her family history. But what do we know? What are some things that maybe you know off the top of your head or maybe some things that you spent this week? If you're, if you're one of those people, and last week I said we're going to be in Jezebel, so you spent some time this week um, looking up Jezebel. I don't want to take away your opportunity to, to contribute. So what do we know about Jezebel? Who was she? Not why do we know her? Who was she? She was Ahab's wife. Okay. Ahab, Ahab the Rahab, the sheik of the burning sand, right? Okay, so so we know, all right, so very good. And so we know that she was Ahab's wife. Where do we get that from? Do you know, young lady? It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. That's right. That's right. It, it is in the Bible. Very good. So we get that from 1 Kings. Hot, just a coincidence. We're in 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 16 and verse 31. That's where we find out that she was married to Ahab. It's kind of like a coincidence. We just turned there and there it is. Okay? So we know that, okay, so she was married to Ahab. What else do we know about her? She's a woman. All right, that's that's a good start. All right. Um, she wasn't a very She was not a good lady. She gave bad advice to her husband. She gave bad advice. Yes, that's true. She was very persuasive. Okay. 
She came from Sidon. That's right, Pete. So you will see this in 1 Kings chapter 16 and verse 31. You will find out pretty much the majority of the biographical information we have about her is found in verse 31. Where it says, and as if it had been a light thing for him, talking about Ahab, to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. So that is where we get the idea that she was married to Ahab. Pete said she was uh, from Sidon, a Sidonian. Does anybody know where Sidon was at, geographically speaking. It is. So sometimes if you got the maps in the back of your Bible and you go back, um, most likely if you look towards the very top of the map along the Mediterranean coast, you will see the town of Sidon. So you have um, Tyre. So, well, I mean, do a little ge- geography. So if you got the, the Dead Sea, the Jordan River, the Sea of Galilee, and the Mediterranean um, The Mediterranean is right here. You usually have Tyre, and then Sidon is above that. So it's almost outside. It's on the northern edge of most of your biblical maps because it was as the far northern territory, if you will. So we know she was married to Ahab. We know that she was a Sidonian. Um, I already read there in verse 31 who her dad was. Her dad was the king of the Sidonians. So Ahab had 70 sons. Were they all first? So we don't know. We, so it doesn't tell us. Yes, we know that he had 70 sons. And you know, last week when we were talking about Ahab, we knew that he, um, we knew the name of two of the sons. Anybody remember the name, two of the sons? Extra credit? We can't remember everything you say. So the first one, the first one we see out of 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 51, and uh, that is Ahaziah. He was the first one, and so it's mentioned that he was the oldest one of Ahab. Now, the, the, the question for me is, is that Jezebel's son? We don't know. We All we know is that he was married to Jezebel. We don't know of any of the women he's married to. It says later on that he had 70 sons. I think it would be safe to assume they weren't all from her. We don't know. We don't know. I, I do not want to give up the, the, the potential. You know, maybe she had multiples. I don't I don't know. But we. I would just, I, I feel like I'm pretty solid ground to assume that maybe he had more than, uh, he had more than one baby mama. Alright? But we do know, and uh, we do know the name of his first son was Ahaziah, 1 Kings 22:51, and 2 Kings chapter 1, verses 17, and chapter 3, verses 1, verse 1, not verses, chapter 3, verse 1, we know that the name of his second oldest was Jehoram. Any of that ring a bell? Ring a bell? All right, so he had the first one, Ahaziah, had the, the second one, Jehoram. Now, I'm just going to assume, because you can't prove that I'm wrong, I'm going to assume that these were Ahab, or that these were Jezebel's sons. I'm not saying, I'm, don't, don't quote me and say, well, the preacher said the Bible said, no, he didn't. Okay? I'm just, you can't prove me wrong, so I'm just going to pencil them in the family tree that these are Jezebel's two sons. We also know that there was a daughter. Remember, um, out of 2 Kings chapter 8 and verse 18, that it talks about that one of the sons, Jehoshaphat, was married to the daughter of Ahab. Remember this from last week? Alright, so we, we know that in addition to the seven sons, we know there was at least one daughter, and then we have the name of the two sons. So, were those Jezebel's children? We don't know. Well, the daughter was for sure first, right? I have not found a passage that said it was hers. It just said that it was Ahab's daughter. Unless I'm misreading it. Okay. Well, I have a lineage thing, and it says, the, you know, whatever the daughter's name is, daughter's Jezebel and Ahab, and it does a lot of references, but I see it. What else do we know about Jezebel? Biographically. She was trying to kill the prophets. She was ordering people to kill all the gods and prophets. And, and we'll get there. So biographically, like, do we know sisters? Do we know brothers? Cousins? Do we know GPA in high school? 
2.3? Okay. All right. 2.3. All right. So that's not a trick question. I don't know of anything else as I have looked through her life. I don't know of anything else. If you if you come up with something, um, I'm not trying to leave anything out. But as I was looking at all the places that you see Jezebel and you see her mentioned, I didn't find anything else. We know who she's married to. We know her daddy's name. We know um, that this was at least Ahab's children's names. Maybe assume that these were her children's name. We know that she came from Sidon. We know that uh, she was a Baal worshiper because that's what they talk about the Sidons, the Sidonites or the Sidonians. Um, and then it even says there in chapter 16 of 1 First Kings and verse 31 that uh, you know once Ahab married her, then that's when the Baal worship began to take place. So uh, we have a little bit of idea about that. So kind of covers who was she. Now Let's get to why do we know her. And, and, and what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to work linearly as far as, let's say, start in 1 Kings 16 and just kind of go the next story, the next story, the next story, the next story. Does that make sense? So I'm going to cover a few. If, you, if I skip over something, let me know. First reason why we know who she is, because she was a pagan. A pagan is just a, a terminology for someone that has uh, no fear of God, no worship of God, no relationship with the Lord. We still have pagans today. So she was a pagan from Sidonian. She was a worshiper of Baal. That's what you get right there in 1 Kings chapter um, 16 and verse 31. So you know, starting off, that she was not an Israelite. She was not a Jew. She was not one of God's chosen people. That she was a Sidonian, um, pretty much a foreigner implant or immigrant implant that was brought in and so she was a pagan then the next thing we see really out of her is her killing the prophets of God so this would be 1st Kings chapter 18 and right about in verse 4 the context is that uh, the, the drought has been going on Elijah has been off um, removed from the scene by the hand of God and it said that then God comes to Elijah and says alright go back and um, go ahead and co- confront Ahab Elijah's on his way to go find Ahab he comes upon a guy named Obadiah um, there you see him start to be mentioned in verse 3 and it says now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly and this is verse 4 when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. I couldn't find an exact reference of how many prophets she had killed, but the implication that there was a whole slew that were considered the prophets of the Lord and that she had killed them and it had been severe enough that Obadiah goes, I got to take care of these guys and took a hundred of them, camp of 50 and a camp of 50 went off and hid them and fed them bread and water just to save them from the massacre that Jezebel was inflicting upon the prophets of God. We don't know exactly how many, but we do know that it takes a very dark heart to just start murdering prophets of the Lord. Definitely evidence of a lack of fear of God. Definitely an, a uh, evidence of a lack of concern about the judgment of God. And so the first, uh, the second thing of why do we know her, why do we know about her is because of her actions. It doesn't say that Ahab killed the prophets of God. It doesn't talk about the fact that um, the prophets of God had done something wrong. It was just Jezebel said, I don't like you. Think back to... Uh, Alice in Wonderland, and remember the was it the Queen of Hearts that had that saying off with her head, and it was just indiscriminately she would just here decapitate you and move on. So, um, we we think about her because she killed the prophets. Well, that's First Kings eighteen. Later on in First Kings eighteen, Elijah then gets in front of Ahab. They have the confrontation at the top of Mount Carmel, and after. Mount Carmel, remember there were how many prophets of Baal that were then killed? Anybody remember? 450. Okay, so then you have the uh, the killing of the prophets of Baal and then when that got back to the, the ears of Jezebel, she wasn't happy. 
So what did she do? She then threatened Elijah. So this will be chapter 19 and verse 2. It says, Then Jezebel sent a messenger Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as one of them by this time tomorrow. Then verse 3, Then he was afraid. Talking about Elijah. Now, I don't have any idea. We don't have a picture, a yearbook photo of Jezebel. So we really don't have any way of knowing what she looked like. But this is the same Elijah that stood on the mountaintop with Ahab and the prophets of Baal and prayed to God and the fire came down and consumed the offering. And then he said, restrain them, hold them, kill all the prophets of Baal. He's the same dude that had said it's not going to rain or do until I say it's going to rain or do. And it's been doing nothing for the last three years. This dude has a special connection to God. And yet when this woman (laughs) made a threat, he got scared. Now what does that mean? Well, There was a reputation. There was a certain amount of fear that what she said she would do, she would do. And it got so bad that he said in verse 3, chapter 19, that he was afraid. And he arose and he ran for his life. That's the kind of person that Jezebel is presented in Scripture as being. So you go from this story. And then we go to 1 Kings uh, chapter 21. Now I realize you may say, well, there's other places where she's mentioned. And there is, but I'm just trying to hit the high points of why do we know about her. So you get to 1 Kings chapter 21, and the next time she really is a prominent figure is Naboth's vineyard. Remember we talked about this last week, about how Ahab wanted a vineyard. Naboth said, it's mine, can't have it. Um, It was an inheritance given to me from God through the work of Joshua and the conquest of the land. Ahab pouted and went back home and threw a tantrum. And Jezebel's like, I got you, boo. And so then she set it up where then Naboth would be murdered on false charges, trumped up charges. And so she conspired against Naboth. You'll see this in 1 Kings 21 and verse 7. And Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now govern Israel? Arise, eat bread, and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard in Naboth, the Jezreelite. It's like she had so much power. She had so much influence. She had so much provenance. She... Prominence. She she is looking at the king Ahab and is like, You may not be able to do it, but I can do it. Hide and watch. And so she conspired against Naboth. Naboth dies. Then she goes to Ahab. All right, all right, bud. Now it's yours. He goes and he starts to take possession until who shows up? Who's the prophet that shows up? Elijah. So then Elijah shows up and says... Shame, shame, shame. You shouldn't have done that. And then, this is uh, 1 Kings chapter 1 and 1, and starting in verse 17. Then he pronounces a judgment from God on Ahab and Jezebel. Now, you get down to verse 25. Ahab repents. It says he repented. Um, and so then God said, well, I will stay that judgment upon him, and I'll actually bring it about on his children. But Jezebel... She wasn't, she wasn't affected at all. She didn't flinch at all. And it says there in verse 23 of chapter 21, And of Jezebel, the Lord also said, The dogs shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. So it's like, there's a baseball movie where the batter gets up there and he points his bat out an out, outfield and he calls the shot. So when Elijah comes and he's speaking on behalf of God, he says, this is what God is going to do to you. The dogs are going to eat your carcass. That's like saying, not just you're going to die, not just you're going to have a car wreck and an unknown amount of injuries. It's like, this is what's going to happen. You are going to die and the dogs are going to eat your carcass. Now that is a unthinkable thought considering her position of power. 
considering where she was in the whole scheme of the government. The idea that she would be discarded like just one of the second class or third class or one of the homeless people and just be thrown out in the dump where the dogs at that time would come and just scavenge through the refuse. It's like, no, that is not going to happen. But God said, I am condemning you because of your actions in the murder of Naboth. But then there's another... And you got to fast forward to the right all the way to 2 Kings chapter 9. So go from 1 Kings 21 and let's um, skip over and let's get back over to 2 Kings chapter 9. So told you the story last week. Ahab, he's in the battle with Jehoshaphat and the guy draws the arrow at random, shoots, happens to hit, or happens to hit Ahab just in the right spot. He ends up dying. He's in his chariot. They wash the, the blood out of the chariot. It goes down. The dogs are licking it up and that is the completion of the prophecy about the fate of Ahab. Well, you still have the fate of Jezebel yet to be fulfilled. So, after the death of Ahab, then Elijah, once he he um, runs away from Jezebel. Remember the story. God goes and meets Elijah and says, what are you doing? Why are you hiding? What's the problem? And he's like, oh, I'm scared. I'm scared. And he's like, quit being a sissy. Go back and you're going to anoint Elisha to take your place. And you're going to anoint Jehu to then come and follow these kings. And so there you get into 2 Kings chapter 9. And this is why you are reading about Jehu. Because then Jehu is anointed. He was one of the military commanders under the reign of Ahab. And was was very useful even with Jehoshaphat. And so then he comes up as a military commander. And he then goes and he kills Ahab's son. And he goes and he kills Jehoshaphat's son. And then last week we were talking about it. How then he goes and he kills the 70 sons of Ahab. And so he's wiping out all the lineage of Ahab. But there's still one person that has not got their conumptions. That'd be Jezebel. So, as he wipes out the king of Judah and the king of Israel, wipes out the 70 sons, you see there, when it gets down there to 2 Kings chapter 9 and verse 30, and it says, when Jehu came to Jezreel, which was like the home, the home base, Jezebel heard of it. And she painted her eyes and adorned her head, looked out of the window, and as Jehu entered the gate, she says, Is it peace, you Zimri, murderer of your master? And he lifted up his face to the window and he said, Who is on my side? Who? Two of the three eunuchs looked at him. He said, throw her down. So they threw her down and some of her blood spattered on the wall and on the horses and they trampled on her. Then he, this is Jehu, he went in, ate and drank. And he said, see now to this cursed woman and bury her for she is a king's daughter. But when they went to bury her, they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. And when they came back in and told him, he said, This is the word of the Lord, which is spoke by his servant Elijah the Tishbite. In the territory of Jezreel, the dog shall eat the flesh of Jezebel, and the corpse of Jezebel shall be as dung on the face of the field in the territory of Jezreel, so that no one can say, This is Jezebel. I don't know how long you go and you eat and you drink for, but you went in long enough that she got thrown out of an upstairs window. She splattered down there and long enough for the animals to come in and to devour her carcass. What a miserable ending. But at the same time, what a fitting ending. For the life that she lived, God said, this is what's going to happen. The dogs are going to eat your carcass. And then what happened? The dogs ate her carcass. And then, after you get there in 2 Kings chapter 9, from what I have been able to uncover, you do not see her name brought up again until you get to the book of Revelation, where you see a reference about that type of person being a, uh, a purveyor of heresy in the church. Not talking about the same person, but that type 
of person. And so here in 17 chapter 9, her story ends, her legacy ends, the memory of her ends, and it's almost like the, the evilness has been eradicated by the providence and by the work of God. What other reasons do we know her? What did I skip over that you're like, no, no, you're Mrs. Paul. So then what lessons? <laughs> what, what, what? We're here tonight, both male and female. What lessons do we learn from the life of Jezebel? Don't go against God. Okay. Don't go against God, you'll lose. Okay. I mean, don't, don't kill Naboth. Don't kill the prophets of, of God. Perseverance. Perseverance? The kind of strong man is a stronger woman. <laughs> Influence. Influence. She had a lot of it. Good, bad, or different people can have influence, and we have to be careful who's influencing us. Okay. Anything biblically? I'm like, is there a passage that sticks out to your mind about that? Were you going to say? Were you going to say First Kings twenty one? Yeah, sure. Okay, I think that's where you're at. You're at verse twenty five, right? Yeah. Okay, so. In, <laughs> Go ahead. Okay, so in First Kings, in First Kings twenty one and verse twenty five, it talks just what Denise said. It's the it's the effect of influence. So if you go there to chapter twenty one and verse twenty five, and I'm not supposed to be in First Samuel, so let me get over here. Okay, so First uh, Kings 21, verse 25, listen to how the Bible records it. It says, there was none who sold himself, talking about Ahab, there was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab, whom this strong woman, Miss Scotty, whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. So the Bible is presenting maybe, I don't know, a strong woman or an evil woman. I, I don't know. But both. So it, the Bible is presenting Jezebel. And what does it say? It says that not taking anything away from Ahab, not justifying Ahab, not excusing what Ahab did. But it's saying that Ahab did worse than any other ones that had come before him. Being prompted, incited by, encouraged by driven by his wife, Jezebel. See, she should have had the book not long given, whatever it was. She should have got the book before that. She got the vote? She should have been allowed to vote. Instead of the jets, she could have been right up there. Oh, just like... So you're... <laughs> <laughs> So it was because she didn't get to vote. That's right. Oh, okay, okay. Well, then we need to go back and apologize to her because she was not born after the 1950s. Okay. But it, it, it highlights the power of influence. And it's not just a male-female thing. It's a person-to-person thing. So was Ahab was never a man of God? How did he become the king of the his father was the king and there were multiple kings that you'll see in first and second kings that were both good and evil um, and you'll even see kings that the dad was evil but the son was good you'll see it talks about where the father was good and the son was bad and so it was just because his father's name was Omri I think is what it was if I remember back so it was because Ahab's father was Omri it was just he was the next in line just like Ahaziah even though he was not a good guy because he was the firstborn of Ahab he became king and then after he was killed in battle, he didn't have any children. So then the kingdom went to his brother, his younger brother, Jehoram. And so it just followed that birth order, that, that birth lineage. Did you read 1 Kings 21 and 25? That explains it more. It what? 1 uh, Kings 21 25. Where it talks about she incited him? Yeah, but there was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. That's right. So, I mean, I don't think Ahab would have been... Do we... Well, let's go back to Ahab a little bit. But we almost see 
Do we almost see him become repentant a few times, and then she's back there going, maybe not. What we see in 1 Kings 21 and verse 25, we see that we, we see the heading of my Bible said that he repented. Now, we talked about last week the difference between remorse and repentance. Did he repent and ask to be forgiven? I don't see that language there. I see that he's like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I know the stories because I am I am Israelite by lineage. I have been told. I have been taught. I know who God is. And so when God pronounces the judgment, I get the impression that he's like, yeah, I'm, now I'm scared. But I don't see the way that I read it. And you might read it differently. And you might be right and I may be wrong. But the way that I read it is that he doesn't ever come to say... I'm sorry, God, I'm going to do whatever it takes to work out my repentance in front of you because he continues to be influenced and he continues to, to be um, involved with Jezebel. What were you going to say, Ashley? I was going to say, like, what stood out to me is, like, as wives, we can have a positive influence over our homes and our families or a negative one. And, like, like Job's wife had a negative influence on him, but he told her no. And then Eve had an influence on Adam. You know what I mean? And we get the fall. And in this situation, like, she had a negative influence on her husband. And he, it's almost like, he almost, like, listened to her and submitted under her authority. And she didn't submit to her husband's authority as her husband, the head of her household. But she also didn't submit to his authority as far as being king. Sure. It said that she wrote letters in his name and filled them with his sin. Yeah. It doesn't so, say the prophets were sitting at her table. It doesn't say they were sitting at Ahab's table, right? Yes, and, and she's held very. She has a very prominent. Agreed, but like he's still her king. Right. You know what I mean, and she didn't. She went her own way and right. didn't really follow under any sort of. Yeah. Accountability. Yeah. So, is there anything about her looks that make her? The only thing I have about her looks is this little cartoon figure. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know how accurate it is. So, I mean, she looks like a belly dancer in this one, so I don't, I don't know. But what I hope that we take away is just the effective influence. And we see, and I'm not trying to absolve Ahab of any responsibility. I don't think that that would be in order to say, well, it's the woman's fault. The same way you go back to the fall, like, like you mentioned, actually, you go back to Genesis 3 in the fall. Yes, Eve was the first one that took the bite. But that does not absolve Adam from abdicating his responsibility to not only lead his wife, but then be an example of obedience to his wife. Because then what does he do? He turns around and eats of the same fruit. So please do not hear me that I'm saying, ah, well, you know, it's just her. It doesn't absolve him. But we do get a picture of just how prevalent influence can become a, a, a dominating force in our life if we're not careful. Because right there in 21-25, it talks about, she. your translation said stirred him up. My translation says incited him. But it's that, it's that influence. And it doesn't have to be a spouse. It doesn't have to be a, a romantic relationship. It can be a friendship. It can be um, anything that influences us. We have to be careful whether that thing is influencing us towards God or away from God. So the power, the power Power of influence is what Janice was referring to. It's another lesson. I think her, her big influence was the fact that she, that Ahab built altars to Baal. Yes. And put up the asteroid poles. He did everything to turn Israel away from God because trying to please his wife. Yes. It's easier to go to bad than it is. It is easier to go to. So Miss Carol said it's easier to go to bad than it is to stay good, and it is. I mean, it's easier for it's easier for us to give way to temptation than to resist temptation. I mean, it's, it's a lot easier. Right way. Sure, it's a lot easier to be angry than patient. So we 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 look at the influence, but then at the same time. 
I also, when I look at it, I see just the power of God. Because you think about the figure that is presented. You have Ahab, which arguably could be the most powerful man in all of Israel at that point. Whether you, I mean, he had the ten northern tribes. Joseph had the two southern tribes. So you just think of numerically, land mass, he would have been the greater kingdom at that time. And Jezebel, his wife, her dad was a king, had that territory, had that inheritance, and yet you still see God coming in and God saying, you know what, I don't care how powerful you are, I don't care how prominent you are, I don't care how evil you are, I am still God. So you you see this back in the... the announcement of judgment through the mouth of Elijah on her, saying this is what's going to happen because of what you did to, Nabo- what you did to Naboth. And then you see it then played out through the life of um, Jehu as he comes up there. And it's the idea that uh, when I think about it, you know, a eunuch um, is just a castrated male. They would take the males, and to keep them from getting too friendly with the women folk, they would castrate the males, and that was then they would serve in the kingdom. They would serve in the castles. They would serve in the courts, and they would know that if you're the king, and if you got a wife and a harem and concubines and all this stuff, you're going to have to have somebody attending to these women, taking care of these women, the servants, if you will. So they would take these men. They would make them eunuchs so that way they wouldn't have to worry about any funny business going on. So in my mind, in my sanctified imagination, when Jehu gets to the bottom of the edifice, if you will, and he looks up at the window and he sees Jezebel, it talks about in 2 Kings chapter 9 that there were three eunuchs that were sitting there. Now here's just how my mind works, okay? These three guys had been with her long enough they had been around her long enough. They must have been loyal because they were still alive. And so they had been with her, served her, everything else. So when this Jehu guy comes up that they may or may not have known, and they're sitting in the room with her, and Jehu says, who's on my side? And it says there in the text, verse 32, verse 32. Yeah, two or three of the eunuchs, 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 they looked out at him. So when he looked up, they looked at him like, yeah, we're on on your side. And he said, throw her out. And you say, well, that's not the power of God. That's just the power of a eunuch. That is some gumption. That is some intestinal fortitude. That is some providence and the hand of God supernaturally working out the will of God and the intentions of God. So when I think about those three eunuchs, and you're like, well, what's that? What's so big about that? These were like the three closest bootlickers that she had. And here they show up, they're all looking out the window. Jehu looks up and says, Who's on my side? And they're like, <laughs> Throw her down. Out you go, miss. <laughs> Chunk. It's the power of God. We very easily, very often, just dismiss the power of God. We chalk it up as coincidence. We chalk it up as happen chance. We chalk it up as our own power, our own ability, our own might. And it's really the power of God on display. And we see the power of God. You see the power of God working out in the lives of the people. And you see the power of God working out through Scripture. Why would we not think that the power of God is still alive and well and at work today? Before those guys were the eunuchs, do you know who the mother-in-law was? I do not know the mother-in-law of the eunuchs. Lorena Bobbitt. <laughs> Lorena Bobbitt. Well, I think by definition they wouldn't even have a mother-in-law because they wouldn't be married. Unless they were married to a very patient woman. The mother-in-law made them the eunuch. Well, I don't think Lorena castrated. No, she dismembered. So it's a different, it's a different anatomy, different anatomy, different, different procedure, different procedure. Okay. So we talk about the power of God. Now let me give you an example. What I, the way that my mind works, is power of God. Look around the room. Why in the world would you have this many different personalities, this many different backgrounds, this many different faces, this many different people, all in one place at one time? It's not because you're here for the raffle or for the bingo. Dinner? You're here for dinner? But but still, you see the work of God in bringing people here. 
it wasn't that many days ago when the number of people in this room was the number of people that would be here on a Sunday morning. I mean, we see, we see the hand of God at work. And it's not anybody that gets credit. It's just God gets credit. And we see the power of God. So if you think about Jezebel, we're like, we don't know of a more evil woman. And yet God still had power over her. So no matter what we are facing, God still has power over our situation. God still has power over the, the situation, the circumstances that we're facing. So there's one more that I want to flesh out. And that is the power of sin. Now, I want to show you this, if you're willing to uh, do a little Bible drill with me. Go back in your Bibles, back to the left, to Joshua. And we're going to go back to Joshua. So, 2 Kings, 1 Kings, 2 Samuel, 1 Samuel, Judges, Joshua. Go back to Joshua and go back to Joshua chapter 11. Okay, Joshua chapter eleven. I only got about ten minutes, and we're gonna we're gonna get we're gonna move through this quickly. So Joshua chapter eleven. So as the whole book of Joshua is about the conquest of the promised land. So into Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy thirty four, Moses then hands the reins over to Joshua. They are at the brink of the promised land. Joshua, the book of Joshua, opens up with Joshua then taking over the leadership of the entire nation of Israel. They cross the Jordan River. That's Joshua. 3, Joshua 4, they cross the Jordan River and they come in and they begin the conquest of the promised land. Once they do most of the conquering in the promised land and they they drive out all the ites, then they start to divide it up and they break it up in the 12 tribes and and, and that all takes place. But Joshua is about the conquest. And you will see places in Joshua it talks about how they defeated the people or how they pursued the people. So listen to Joshua chapter 11. When you think about the Sidonians. So we remember um, back in verse 31, um, Jezebel was a Sidonian from Sidon. Okay? Now, what does that what, what does that tell us about Sidon? Well, if you go to Joshua chapter 11 and verse 8, we get an idea about Sidon. Now I'm going to read, uh, let's start in verse 5. So for the sake of context, Joshua, they, they're in the promised land, they're starting the conquest, but then all these ites are like, we don't like you taking our land, we don't like you coming in and kicking us out, so they assembled. Verse 5, all of these kings joined forces and came and encamped together at the waters of Merom to fight against Israel. And it says, back up in verse 4, and they came out with all their troops, a great horde in number, like the sand that is on the seashore, with very many horses and chariots. So you can just imagine all these people show up and Joshua's like, I don't know if this is such a great idea. Verse 6, And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them, for tomorrow at this time I will give over all of them slain to Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. So Joshua and all his warriors came suddenly against them by the waters of Merom and fell upon them. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Israel who struck them and chased them as far as great Sidon. So the picture we get of the Sidonians at the very beginning is that they were part of, they were occupying what is now the promised land. When Joshua comes in, the kings come down to the south, they had number, and when Joshua is chasing the enemies, he chases them as far as Sidon, but he doesn't, he doesn't continue on and conquer Sidon. So there's, there's still enemies, people left to be conquered up in Sidon. They just don't go that far because uh, of the other conquests they're doing. Are you tracking with me? Alright, so there's, there's people that God had said, you are going to devote to destruction. You were going to conquer their land. Part of that was the Sidonians. They chased them all the way to Sidon. They stopped. Well, does that mean that they still need to be dealt with? Yes. Are they dealt with? Judges chapter 1. Judges chapter 1. So we see the Sidonians. They're present pagan Baal worshippers And here in Judges chapter 1 and verse 31, or actually if you look up at verse 27, some of your headings may say, failure to complete the conquest. So as the history went on, they came in, they conquered, but they didn't completely drive out all of the ites. There was still the effect. There was still the remnants, if you will, of the 
as pagans and the ites around them. And so after Joshua, Joshua dies in chapter 2, but during this time, as he allots out the land, so he says, okay, so RW, you get this land, go up there and finish driving out the ites. Matt, I'm going to give you this portion, you go up there and you finish driving out the ites. Anthony, I'm going to give you this portion, you go up there and you finish driving out the ites, okay? So that was kind of the charge that was left. Look at Judges chapter 1 and verse 31. Asher, which is one of the twelve tribes of Israel, Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of Akko, or the inhabitants of Sidon, or of Hablab, or Akzib, or Helbah, or Aphek, or of Rehob. What happened? Asher was supposed to go up and drive them out. Why? Because God said, if you let these people remain, they will be a distraction. They will be a bad influence. They will be a burr in your holiness before God. And said, if you do not drive them out completely, then they will come back and influence you for bad. Another place. Judges chapter 10. The story of Judges is a circular story. The people of Israel, they fall into rebellion, disobedience. They fall under the the, uh, judgment of God. God afflicts them at the hands of their enemies. They cry out to God for um, redemption. They They cry out for God for help. God raises up a judge. That judge leads them in a military uh, victory over their enemies, restores the worship of God, falls off the scene, moves out of the scene. They go back to their pagan, idolatry, sinful ways. God brings affliction. They say sorry. God raises up a judge, and you see this cycle continuing. Judges chapter 10, verse 6. The people of Israel, again, did what was evil inside the Lord, and they served the Baals and the Asherah, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Amorites, and the gods of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve Him. Why am I bringing this out? Because you see the power of sin. God says, get rid of the sin in your life. And you and I say, well, we think we can control it. Get rid of the sin in your life. Well, how about I just do it less? Get rid of the sin in your life. Well, it's not a problem for me. Get rid of the sin in your life. Well, and we come up with some other, I come up with some other justification or excuse, and God says, if you don't get that sin in your life, then that sin will continually be a trip for you. And we see this played out. So when we get there to 1 Kings, and we see the influence of Jezebel, why was she ever even in the picture? It's because the generations that had come before Ahab had failed to be faithful and obedient to God. And that effect, that that remnant of pagan Baal worshiping was allowed to continue. And it's it's the power of sin. If we do not deal with sin, sin will continually be a snare and a tripwire to us. Did the same thing happened when they first crossed over the promised land. There was effects. Yeah, that they were to destroy everything, so they wouldn't be polluted. Yes. It happened over and over and over again. If they didn't do what they were supposed to, and they fell back, and then they'd call back to God, help us, and we'd relent and help them again, and they'd fall back, and it was the same story over and over and over. Because they wanted to leave. Yes, that is right. And we do the same thing. We do the same things over and over. Well, I'm sure you don't do the same thing. I do the same thing. I go through these same cycles. You know, I go through these same up and down moments. I'm faithful. And then I'm, get complacent. I'm iffy, yeah. you know, and, and then I then I start to slide and then I start to backslide and then I get convicted and then I repent and then I get back to being faithful and then I get iffy and I start getting lazy and I start getting apathetic and I start letting things go that I shouldn't let go. All right. One last place. Ezekiel 28. One last place. And then we're going to pray and go home. Why do I want you to see Ezekiel 28? Because we see another 
another attitude of God towards Sidon. And, I, and I'm trying to make the connection that when we see Jezebel, Jezebel was just simply following the culture that she had been brought up in. Why was she um, alive during that time? It was because people allowed sin to take place. How does God look at? How does God think about sin? Well, here in Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse 20, God is going to talk through the mouth of Ezekiel about what he thinks about Sidon. And I think there's language as I read this, there's language to me that it's like God is saying, Spence, this is what I think about your sin. And this is what I think about the the laziness in your life of allowing certain sins to remain. Verse 21, Behold, I am against you, O Sidon, and I will manifest my glory in your midst. They shall know that I am the Lord when I execute judgments in her and manifest my holiness in her. For I will send pestilence into her and blood into her streets. The slain shall fall in their midst by the sword that is against her on every side. Then they will know that I am the Lord. And for the house of Israel there should be no more a briar to prick or a thorn to hurt them among all their neighbors who have treated them with contempt. They will know that I am the Lord God. God is speaking through Ezekiel and he says, Ezekiel, tell the Sidonians, the Israelites, back in Joshua 11, may not have dealt with them. Asher may not have driven, may not have driven them out in Judges chapter 1. Ahab might have dabbled in it, but I will judge and I will hold accountable. Is that a preaching deal this morning? The preacher made a, a connection. Some of you will recognize 2 Corinthians 5 and 10 where it talks about that we'll all stand before the judgment seat of God. And a lot of times we will misunderstand that and think, well, because I'm already saved, I don't have anything to give an account for. And, and he made an observation. He said, when as a believer, 2 Corinthians 5.10, and you stand before the judgment seat of God, you will not give an account for your sin. You will give an account for your stewardship. Because I'm saved. My sin was dealt with on the cross. But from the moment that God saved me, I have been given a gift to steward and one day, I will give an account to God for that stewardship. How does that connect? I will give an account to God for my attitude towards sin. So when you think about Jezebel, Jezebel gives us an example. She gives us these lessons. Not only the power of influence, not only the power of God, that God can do whatever He wants to, but also just how much sin can get into our lives control our lives and lead our lives away from God. Thank you for joining us today at FBC Wellston. We would love to hear from you or connect with you if you will visit our website at fbcwellston.org. Please let us know if we can serve you in any way and we look forward to connecting with you in the future.